Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Value Inspiration podcast. My name is Ton Dobber, and I'm the founder of Value Inspiration and the author of The Remarkable Effect. I'm creating a tribe of tech entrepreneurs that are on a mission to do something big and meaningful. I invite you to join the tribe as well, especially if you want to create change that matters and put your software business on momentum that you're proud of. The goal that I have at this podcast is twofold. Firstly, to inspire new forms of value creation by sharing compelling ideas and stories about the potential we can unlock when technology and people blend in the right way. And secondly, share experiences from tech entrepreneurs like you about what is required to create a remarkable software business and how to overcome the roadblocks to do so. The guest on the podcast this week is Justin Winter, co-founder and CEO of Boostopia. We fundamentally believe that the way to create better customer experiences isn't by getting the latest and greatest fancy ticketing system. It's really about engaging your support team that you have and empowering them to do their best work. Why does customer support, from our perspective as a consumer, why is it so horrible, right? We all hate talking to customer support. We have lots of frustrating experiences, right? So we fundamentally believe that the reason why bad customer support still exists, it's not because companies don't know that that's happening. It's because they don't have an underlying attribution model for understanding how those bad experiences lead to them making less money. This is Justin. He's been an advisor to over a dozen companies and acted in a consulting capacity with over 150 consumer brands and technology companies across the areas of growth, retention, product, and operations. Justin studied for his Bachelor of Science degree in marketing at Liberty University in Lynchburg, Virginia. In 2010, he co-founded Diamond Candles, the fastest growing and largest online home fragrance brand in the world. He led the company as the CEO for five years. In that process, he became frustrated with the solutions available to him to deliver the customer support that his customers loved. So he decided to set out to assemble a team to lead to build what he wished he would have during his tenure there. This became the spark that started Bustopia, of which Justin is the co-founder and CEO. Bustopia is a technology company that helps B2C companies decrease the number of tickets they get, discover ways to efficiently manage support issues, and transform support into a new revenue-generating channel. This inspired me, and hence I invited Justin to my podcast. We explore why bad customer support still exists, and why the current approach of focusing on the support agent is not enough to solve it. We also discuss the opportunity to turn the support department from a cost center into a profit center, and the opportunity to increase the wage of support team members by a mere 50% as a consequence of that. By listening to this podcast, you will learn four things. Firstly, how to spark momentum by overwhelming your users with opportunity, i.e. give them a clear picture of the value that they are creating with your product. Secondly, 
how to find balance in your investment between selling what you've got versus making the next big thing. Why companies that bet on product-led growth are proportionally better rewarded than those that are sales-led. And fourthly, why you drive more value for your customers by instead of helping them to be more efficient, help them to eliminate the underlying problem altogether. So hi, Justin. Thank you for making the time today to be on my podcast and share the, yeah, the big idea behind your company, Boostopia. Yeah, thank you. I'm so glad to be here today. Yeah, I mean, I got introduced to you and when I started looking into what, what Bustopia does, a number of bells rang to me or uh, bells went off. Mm-hmm. I like particularly the space of, of customer support and all the technology that, that are available these days to make that a much better experience, but also to really optimize what you can do with, with your team and optimizing your organization around that. So sort of music to my ear. And that's why I decided it's like, hey, I need, to, I need to have these guys on my podcast. Before we start talking about how it all started, the big idea behind it, a little bit about you. If you would have to describe yourself in two or three words, what words would you use to characterize yourself? You're not starting with the easy questions. My goodness. <laughs> oh, man. Entrepreneur, ADD. <laughs> I don't know. That, that really is a tough question. It's like, man, to distill me down into a couple words, man, <laughs> it feels like I'm either bragging or I'm like not... Yeah, it just it kind of forces you to bury your soul a little bit there. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> Sorry for that, but oh, no, no, no. The mo- the this most is good. This is good. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes the most brilliant things come out of someone's mouth. Like, wait, did I say this? And, yeah, yeah. Okay. Now, I mean, talking about your business, a little bit about your history. You you already did a startup before this, which which was in the e-commerce space, right? Yes, correct. And then you started Bustopia after about four or five years. I saw on, on LinkedIn. So what, was, what is the big idea behind this company? What yeah. is the big problem that you see, that you saw, and yeah. Yeah, what sparked it? Yeah, definitely. So my prior company, which was a direct-to-consumer you know, e-commerce consumer brand, I was the first support agent myself as one of the founders. And as we continued to grow, became the support manager when we were just starting out. And then the CEO was the manager of the support manager at one point. And as we grew rapidly, we got to a point where we had about 20 or so full-time people in the support department around kind of peak holiday season when things were very busy. And we went through a variety of different tools that we would use to run the department, different ticketing systems and things like that. And our experience was that as we grew, the way we handled customer experience is that we just kept throwing more people into the department. People were overwhelmed, they're stressed. Well, I guess there's just too much to do. So let's just hire someone else for $40,000 a year, right? And once we kind of initially hit the threshold of like four or five people, we started to ask questions of our customer experience and the operation. Questions like, man, why are customers reaching out and contacting us? What are the problems that they're having, which leads to them needing to be able to have us manually solve those things for them? We would ask questions like, well, how are we supposed to understand which team member is needing of training in different areas or who our best performing agent is? So I think all of it was really around like these management questions and these customer experience questions as opposed to just like, well, are we answering emails within one business day, that basic table stakes type stuff. 
So when I started talking to a lot of other friends at a lot of other companies, it was the same kind of thing, right? The support department was kind of the back of the office, the lowest paid job. You just kind of kept throwing people at it. It was kind of like a good problem to have that they were stressed because that meant you had more customers, but no one really was working on using the support department to better learn about the business and the experience your customers were having in a systematic way to lead to improvements in the business. So support could begin to contribute really to the top line of the business, right? Keeping people happier so they stay around longer, so they buy more stuff. And so I kind of began this search. And once I transitioned out of that company and and exited, I took a little while kind of doing some more research here. And I ended up discovering that at the enterprise, so if you have 500 or you know thousands of support team members, there's actually tools to help you answer these questions, both to understand the customer experience and to better manage your team and improve your operation. But these tools, most of them were made about 20 years ago and require three-year contracts and really require full-time MBAs and data analysts to run them because they are so complex and inaccessible. So what we started to realize was that Ticketing systems, so systems like Zendesk or Gorgeous or Customer or Freshdesk or Intercom, you know, there's so many of these systems. They are really built for the job of support agents to do their job of talking to customers, right? But they are not built for the job of their boss, the support manager, to do their job of managing the team, supporting them, and improving the overall operations so customer experiences improve. So we realized there's actually a pretty large gap from a tooling perspective because we started to kind of better dive into the role of like, well, what does a support manager do? And most people I talk to, they don't really know, right? At, even at their own company. So it's like, oh, well, I guess like you help the agents and things like that. But it's things like, it's a lot of time looking at your analytics to understand what's happening, how the team is performing. It's coaching team members. It's training them. It's running one-on-one meetings. It's running team meetings. It's recognizing team members. It's reviewing the quality of how your team is performing. It's scheduling the team. It's forecasting your needs. All of those workflows today for the majority of support departments still happens in spreadsheets or Google Docs. Yeah, I can Those things don't happen in ticketing systems. Ticketing systems is where you have the conversations, but not all this other stuff. So we said, this completely seems obvious to us. Why isn't there one place where support managers can live, one app that has all of the things that they need to do their job? Just like a salesperson has their sales CRM, right? And whatever the system might be, right? That role at every company, there needs to be a home base for them to do what they need to do. So we fundamentally believe that the way to create better customer experiences isn't by getting the latest and greatest fancy ticketing system. It's really about engaging your support team that you have and empowering them to do their best work. And by systematically improving your operations over time. So that's what we're doing. We're focused on support managers and what they need to do. We're not competing with the ticketing systems people already have. We integrate with them and empower the managers to do their job. And now even just here recently, we, we popped out our new free plan level as well. So we're having a lot of fun working with a lot of cool companies and trying to envision the future of customer experience and helping companies deliver, you know, 
You know, that whole area, the domain of customer experience is like a huge one at the moment. I mean, one of my customers, SAP, of course, bought this company called Qualtrics for how many, how many billion? Yeah, billions. Um, they're, they're not really in that space either, but I mean, the whole thing of capturing right. what's really going on in the moment yeah, and doing the right things for that in order to take products, people, and everybody to, yeah. the, to a different level. Yes. Yeah, that's, yeah. Uh, that's an interesting domain to be in. So what do you yeah. believe is the opportunity if you get this right? If, if the world starts to use Bustopia yeah. and I mean, what do, what do customers see and what is the effect on organizations performance-wise? Yeah. yeah, so I think there's a very legitimate question that we all have of the world, which is, man, why does customer support from our perspective as a consumer, why is it so horrible, right? We all hate talking to customer support. We have lots of frustrating experiences, right? So we fundamentally believe that the reason why bad customer support still exists. It's not because companies don't know that that's happening. It's because they don't have an underlying attribution model for understanding how those bad experiences lead to them making less money. Right? Because if I knew that when a customer called up and said, Hey, I received the wrong order in the mail and I'm frustrated with this experience, right? It's one thing to say, oh, hey, we're so sorry about that. We're going to take care of that right away, right? And say, okay, well, we need to take care of that mistake. But it's another thing to say, hey, based on our models, we predict that people who have this problem are going to have a 50% lesser lifetime value over the next 12 months compared to people who don't have that problem. All of a sudden, it's like, oh, well, that's $100, right? So all of a sudden, this commoditized interaction of what's the lowest cost we can pay someone to solve this problem sufficiently becomes an opportunity to invest in that experience. But more importantly, it provides business incentives to say, hey, this one's already happened and we're going to try our best to like salvage this relationship. But I don't want this to happen to someone tomorrow, next month, next year. Let me make a small interruption here. Justin just made a critical remark about a different approach they took to not only help their customers become more efficient in addressing support loads, like everybody else, but instead to help them make the workload go away once and forever. Beyond that, they're not only focusing on improving the bottom line by making the cost go away, but actually increase the top line as well by turning these incidents into opportunities. This is a perfect illustration of a trait that remarkable software companies master. They create new value possibilities. You can master these traits as well. I have two options for you to start. First, read or listen to my book, The Remarkable Effect. You can find that on Amazon.com. Or secondly, get into action right away. Surround yourself by a group of like-minded people, tech founders and CEOs that will help you remove your blind spots, explore new paths and sharpen your thinking. How? Just visit valueinspiration.com. Back to the interview. So if I can understand that, that I'm having a hundred of those situations per month, all of a sudden it's like, whoa, you're going to unlock resources within the organization to invest in kind of plugging that gap so you don't have customers in the future who have that problem. So I think on the consumer side, you know, and it might be a big statement, but we solve for bad customer support experiences. Like we want to eliminate that from the world. And I think from an organization side of things, our goal is to empower support managers to, you know, help support agents do their best work. You know, it shouldn't be this commoditized robotic thing, 
And hey, we're software people. We want software to do what software does best, right? And we see that role as increasingly the basic frequently asked questions should be handled by software, right? That is not good work that any of us would enjoy doing because it's so repetitive and basic. So we want to eliminate that, but then unlock the skills and talent of support team members to begin to have more high quality conversations, more consultative conversations. Oh, hey, you have this product. I would recommend this product because I'm a, I'm a product expert. I want to help solve your problems. So as soon as you start to unlock that, and if companies can see the results from investing in creating conversations, all of a sudden these support people don't become, you know, hey, what's the least we can pay them to get these, you know, minimum sufficient quality. It's, oh, True. you know, Sarah over here, man, she is so good on the phone giving recommendations. We can tell that after someone has a phone call with Sarah and it's about a product discussion, they're going to spend $100 more over the next 12 months. And how much do we pay Sarah, right? We only pay her $45,000 a year. Man, we don't want her to leave because she's making us 200 grand a year, right? So I think another kind of big thing for us is we would love to see the average wage of a support team member increase by 50% across the entire industry. Um, You're going to make some friends here. Yeah. Well, so (laughs) businesses want this, right? Because that's only going to happen if they create measurable business value, right? Like at my prior company, I wish I could have seen what a good agent was from a bad agent was so I could have kept them and encouraged that good behavior, you know, encourage that behavior, which aligned, you know, with the business. Yeah, and at the end, usually also what they kind of to learn the still weaker ones or the younger ones to level up to the yes. best possible, exactly. um, yeah. best possible level. So you started this company 16. And in the meantime, of course, you got the product is out, customers are there. So I'm always interested to hear about that journey and what yeah. you did on the way in order to create a product that is, well, you're talking about the results, the remarkable results that you're delivering yeah. today. Yeah. What did yeah. you do so, different? Yeah. And we definitely had a, probably a less common initial story. So we had a pretty good understanding of the problems that people were facing in this area, but we didn't have a really firm conviction around what the product needed to look like that would solve these problems. So instead of starting off raising money from investors and then just guessing and building something and then trying to iterate really quickly, we said, why don't we start as basically a services agency where we will go into an organization and say, hey, you know, we'll do a free audit for you. We'll help you understand what opportunities just around best practices you're not taking advantage of. And we'll basically be fractional support, you know, kind of analysts or kind of, you know, optimization experts. And so we started that way. And, you know, we had our first customer within 30 days, right? And, you know, everyone was, you know, able to have a salary within a couple months. And then that was just three of us at that point. But so we started that way and we, we kind of stayed in that zone for about 18 months or so, or maybe a little bit closer to two years. And from there, you know, we gave us some time because we didn't have to rush. Like, hey, we really want to understand how we can help people. And then from there, we started to work on, okay, what does the product look like? And by the end of that 24 months, you know, we really had a firm conviction on what the solution needed to be. So we went about recruiting our head of engineering and our last co-founder and that he got started as our first and only engineer at that point. And we started working on our prototype, got out of beta. And then really over the past, really since just the beginning of this year, I kind of launched the product full on and have kind of made this transition to 
a software company and kind of you know, shut down kind of the old services approach that we were doing and just kind of migrated everybody over. So that's kind of been the transition now. And since COVID, things have been actually more busy for us and we've been doing well and we're getting ready to raise our seed round from investors here. We're starting actually just within the next 30 days or so. And then the plan is from there to kind of go the traditional venture capital backed route because we think it's a very, very large market opportunity and we want to go fast because, you know, we want to get there first. Cool. But talking about like, what did the product have to look like? What patterns did you see and, and how did you solve it in a way that not only provides you with the differentiation that you're looking for, but also something that's defensible that others can hardly uh, replicate? Yep. Yeah. And we figured out that really what we wanted to do for all the different workflows that a support manager does as part of their everyday There are definitely different point solutions built for not support departments typically, but just for anyone in a company, like one-to-one kind of manager to employee, kind of like meeting tool, right? You know, things like that exist. What we realized and what, you know, we knew we wanted and, and the people, you know, who were customers at the time that would be valuable to them is, yes, we needed to have all these workflows in one place, but it really needed to be very, very tightly coupled with the real-time performance data of what's actually happening in the department. So we knew we had to start off by really building our Ustopia data platform, which is pulling in all of the data from a ticketing system, adding the time data. So not just Sally had a hundred conversations. It's well, Sally spent five minutes on this conversation, but eight minutes on this other one. And that's not something that's readily available in ticketing systems. And then we also combine that with a company's cost data. So how much are they paying those people? And so with all of those things combined, our first kind of real product that customers saw was our reporting product called Insights. And what's so different about that, even though, I mean, ticketing systems have reporting products. What's different about ours is people still with those other systems had to export that data and, and kind of mix in this other business data to come up with insights to understand how is my team performing? What should I focus on next? What's the next biggest opportunity to improve the customer experience? Ticketing system reporting products are very basic. They just provide basic activity data, yeah. not kind of an understanding of what to work on next. So we had to kind of start there, build this platform, and then we kind of have a roadmap right now of you know these multiple kind of workflow products built in a way that's very tightly integrated on top of that data platform. So the first paid product really that we released, which released about 60 days ago, is our goals product. So once someone's in the reporting product and they can see how you know, a particular agent is performing, we want to help them find those insights about how Sarah could improve. But then with about two clicks, you know, a manager can say, okay, 30 days from now, I want you to be 25% better in this area. And then it's codified as kind of an OKR. But then because it has that real-time data from how that team member is performing, you know, we can, you know, in basically real time, help the manager understand at any point in time, as well as the agent, am I on track to hit that goal or am I off track? Yeah. Right? Yeah. So there's basic things like that where today, and that might not sound revolutionary, but today managers, if they you know, have 10 agents, each agent has three to four goals between now and their next meeting. Well, managers today, 
it's effectively a surprise when they get to that next meeting because they'll have to do a couple hours worth of prep work to go into the reporting system, pull it off. How are they actually performing? I don't know. And they got to copy and paste it over into their Google Doc or whatever they're having, right? So there's no reason why we can't kind of give managers superpowers to automatically kind of surface those insights and help them understand, hey, are we on track? Are we off track, right? So it's really that focus on we really only care about support departments and we really primarily focus on the support managers, giving them tools to empower them to do their job well. And we want that to be integrated with the data that already exists in their platform so they don't have to keep messing around with Makes spreadsheets. So, yeah, at least sense. as of right now, that's, that's kind of our unique approach to solving the problem that we're not seeing anybody else do. Okay. Well, I mean, I, I, I can see definitely that need. What I like about your approach at the end is that you go super, super focused on one particular role where typically all the systems are always like for managing support. and this. And, yep. Exactly. So yeah. then, then they solve a generic problem and it's yes. typically the transactional <laughs> one, but it's not about the improvements there. And at the right. end, it's like with these little things and the data that you get from the systems and then do something useful with that, that's where the, the real value gets in. Yes, exactly, exactly. And we figured out, so most companies spend about $100 per month per support team member on the ticketing system that they use. Yeah. So, and, and that would be like the phone call software, or the call center software, chat software, all of that. It's about 100 bucks. And what we think is that, you know, everyone has to have that. <laughs> everyone should have a tool for the managers, right? To kind of have the same layer. So, from a market opportunity perspective, we're not worried about not making this for everybody else because we think everyone else should have this complimentary deal here. And there's easily a hundred dollar you know, opportunity per individual team member to provide all of this tooling in one place. Because if we can just make a team member 10% more efficient, that's like saving $4,000 a year, right? And yeah. because we're so close to their productivity and their numbers, we can like really prove that out in the product and how much we help team members save money, yeah, right? Sure. So we think it's, it's a very huge opportunity. It's as large as the customer support kind of ticketing system industry, which is, you know, a multi, multi-billion dollar a year, you know, industry, needless to say. Yeah, I mean, that's for sure. That's for sure. And the yeah. interesting thing at the end, you, you talked about how you started as a service company initially in order to just figure out and get it all right. Mm-hmm. It's a story that has come up a couple of times now in the last okay. podcast episodes that I've done. Yeah. A number of companies have actually gone the same route, which is almost like, is this the new, the new route to market? I mean, yeah. at the end, it's a far better route than, than just build something and then have a solution that's looking for a problem, which yes. is where a lot of companies are. Yeah, yeah. So better. I mean, I was actually speaking to an author of a, well, a to be, I think he's not an author yet, but it's to become an author writing a book about uh, that whole process of product development. And the title of his book is actually Don't Start Coding. So it's, oh, yeah. it's a wise advice at the end. Yeah. 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 So let me see. When you at the end went to markets, and since you're saying that it's actually that you launched six months ago, which is right in the middle of COVID when COVID started, like yeah. fun. But you also mentioned halfway the conversation that you've seen well, you've seen growth through COVID, which is an interesting one because at the end, it's where the whole thing started. Mm-hmm. But what do you believe is different right now through COVID that makes your product more relevant for the market? Yeah, so the vast majority of support departments, you know, where there's between one and 100 team members, 
most of those departments at most companies work from an office and yeah. it's the same office that the rest of the company works from. So the current kind of, well, at least up until this point, the best practices from a management perspective, I mean, it, it was heavily, you know, when you think about like coaching and reviewing the quality of work, that's a very in-person kind of thing, right? Sure. More than most functions really. And that makes sense for sure. But with COVID, all of a sudden you had management teams and departments who were forced to work from home. And yeah. they, I mean, they've never done that. So all of a sudden the role of a manager is to coach people who they can no longer hear on the telephone by sitting yeah. next to them while they're on a call. They can't have those in-person meetings, have those definitely much more qualitative conversations. So I think a lot of what, well, a lot of what we heard and are hearing is, hey, I need to be able to better understand how my team is performing because I feel blind right now yeah. to seeing that. And because I can't see that, I can't figure out what opportunities my team has to improve. So my job of coaching and improvement and all that, I am rudderless. I, I, can't, I can't do my job if I can't understand how they're performing. So I need better systems to see and understand their performance. And what I have now is just kind of this afterthought add-on with my ticketing system, this really basic reporting product. I'm super yeah. frustrated with it, right? Like right. it's not helpful. It's overly basic or I have to be a data analyst and run SQL queries, right? Yeah. Which most support managers, that, that's not their background, needless to say. Okay. So what did you learn selling this? You know, what, what challenges did you face and how did you overcome them? Yeah. So one of the biggest problems has been, so we definitely have a opportunity to really create the market around yeah. our software category. So, you know, no one today is still at the point where they have a team of 10 support team members, even three support team members where they're just sitting in a shared Gmail inbox, right? Like everyone knows, Hey, we're going to have to spend money on a ticketing system yeah. for the agents to have those conversations. Well, the market is not yet reach that maturity when it comes to tooling for the managers. So a lot of, so their boss, which is going to be like an operations or finance person, most typically they're not looking for, you know, or expecting to have, you know, tooling for managers to do their job. So they don't realize the opportunities. They're not, they're not looking for it. But so I, I think with that opportunity, there's pros and cons, right? If we were just competing with other ticketing systems, it's like, well, we already have one of those. How is yours different? And it'd be hard to differentiate. We have the, you know, you don't have anything like this now, but you're just using spreadsheets, but this is 10 times better. I promise. <laughs> right. Like, you know, take a look, give us a shot here in some way. So I think that's kind of what our, our big challenge is, is, you know, helping people understand that there's a big opportunity to improve how they just do their normal part of what they're doing. And I think strategically we are intent on a product led growth a kind of go-to market model. We think the best salesperson is just a good product. So the more we can, and that's why we just introduced our kind of forever free plan for our reporting products. And part of that thought was we want to help people uncover their opportunities to improve completely for free. And then we want to have value pricing based products to help them capture the value that they now understand that they have. Yeah. So it's actually mirrors what we found worked well when we were a services yeah, yeah. group. So smart, you know, smart. We, we, did, we did audits, right? Because people didn't know, you know, oh man, I, if I knew I could save 30 grand a year, I would have already 
capture that value, right? Yeah. So, hey, let us do an audit. We'll see what we can uncover, right? We uncover a lot. They're like, oh man, I had no idea. Yeah, please help me capture this value. So if we can now say the product does the work on both sides, right? Hey, one click connect to Zendesk, right? And then, you know, here is all of what's happening in just much more detail, you know, running financial projections automatically, like a lot of this stuff. And all of a sudden, we want to overwhelm people with opportunities, right? Yeah. And then from there, it's like, oh, the goals product, you know, and all this, hey, it's just, you know, $29 a month or whatever per agent, like, oh, a drop in the bucket compared to the opportunity that I now understand, sure. you know, yeah. that I have. Yeah, that's smart. That's smart. So, yeah, I mean, I write about it in my book, how to turn, of course, customs into advocates. And once, once that is happening, yeah, I mean, you get your flywheel. But it's the most thing at the end is starting where you create these magical moments where the wow factor kicks in and where the conversation starts. So you found that one. And I mean, I, that's, that's smart. When you first were doing the assessment yourself and you've seen the reaction as a consequence of that, that you now have a product that's actually for free. Yeah, that goes around like like a virus, <laughs> hopefully. Good virus. But that's an interesting thing to work on. But I mean, I, I mean, with all the conversations I have with the people on the podcast, it's always this evangelism angle that is, of course, a big challenge because it, it's not there yet, you know? People aren't asking for the known. Mm -hmm. So you solved it in an interesting way. I like that. So since you are already, this is your second or your third company? So this is my second company. Yeah, your second company. Relevant question to ask for you then. I wrote my book, The Remarkable Effect, and it reveals the 10 traits of a remarkable software business. So the, the software business that we keep talking about. So you founded two companies, one in the e-commerce space and one in this, in this space of customer support and customer manager support. What do you believe is a key trait that a software company should have in order to be and remain remarkable in the marketplace? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so I think one of the probably fundamental kind of principles is really identifying a very specific problem held by at least a fair number of people and figuring out how to make a significantly better solution for them. I think Peter Thiel's book a couple of years ago here, you know, this whole concept of like, what is that zero to one improvement? What is that a hundred times better kind of solution? I think, you know, particularly in B2B software, for sure, yeah, there's so many kind of weird things, weird roles, weird workflows that, you know, unless you get close to them, you just don't know that they exist. And I think really B2B software is a great place for people to start in entrepreneurship because it's not really about market risk. You know, like some consumer mobile app, you know, you're kind of betting on a potential new consumer behavior that no one currently does. And it's yeah. fairly, you know, a binary outcome. Either it fails gloriously or it succeeds wonderfully, right? One of the two. With B2B, right? Hey, finding, hey, there's this role in the org chart, maybe in a particular industry that it's still all spreadsheets, you know, or they're using generic solutions for that role. Is there a way where we could conceivably pull things together in such a way that, you know, is much more focused on making their lives easier and helping them kind of perform better in that role? So I think that large differentiation is staying focused on that and kind of making that improvement. And, you know, over time, you know, it's about continuing to innovate, right? Hopefully for us, we're kind of going through our phase one from a strategy perspective now, but that phase two is to finish building out all of the primary workflow tools that a manager needs 
for their job. But I think even at that point, you know, we have what we think are exciting next level kind of phase three strategy product plans with, Hey, once we've done that, what can we do to take it to the next level in a way that significantly improves even further, right? How we serve people in those roles. So I think it's, it's always pushing to that next level. And as we grow and, and hopefully find there's some continued initial success, I think it's the hard decision of like reinvesting in that R and D and, you know, how do you balance growing the sales and marketing department, just selling what you got versus making more of the next thing. Those are hard, very practical. Have you got any anecdotes that how you solved a challenge in that area in the past? (laughs) I mean that, that, that challenge of balancing long-term versus short-term is a big one. The challenge between, I mean, where do you put your money R and D or, or go to market? That's another big one. Yeah. And that's one of the reasons we're really excited out about sticking to primarily a product-led growth model as opposed to a sales-led growth model. We've seen even with, so actually just this week, or maybe it was the end of last week, Asana productivity and a project management system, you know, their S1 came out. And there definitely is a trend from what I can tell with these product-led growth focused companies where they're investment and kind of their R&D byline, you know, engineering and product, you know, is you know, much higher proportionally than their kind of sales and marketing budget, right? Because it's kind of, you know, taking on some of that work and companies that actually are doing that are actually on average are being rewarded in the public markets now from a performance perspective compared to companies with a sales led model, actually. Uh, Some recent research I saw was kind of playing to that. So I think, all of that backs into, you know, buyers today, they don't want just like 20 demos over a couple months with all these stakeholders. They just want to get their hands on and try it out. And, you know, we're trying to, as quickly as possible, be able to provide more ways for people to more easily do that. So we, yeah. we still do demos, but yeah. So, so I think there's a lot of opportunity on that side to continue to, you know. Big proof. Yeah. Yeah. To, yeah, exactly. So, yeah. So what are you most proud of seeing so far in this early stage? Have you, yeah. have you got customers that came back to you and yeah, amazed you with an anecdote yeah. that you didn't expect? Yeah, I mean, so two things come to mind. It's definitely been really cool already to have, you know, to get a referral to someone at a you know, particular company. They bring us on, we start working with them. Maybe six months later, they just switch jobs. And one of the first things they do is they call us up and they say, hey, you know, you're such a big help at my other company. I got to have you again, right? I, I need this solution. So that we would be on someone's short list of like their stack, you know, of their tools that they can't live without. I think that begins yeah. to point to, you know, strong, you know, early product market fit for us, uh, which we're excited about. So, so that's really exciting. That's happened multiple times now, kind of that job change situation. Good. And then just support managers who, you know, once we get working with them, they have our, our tools and, you know, we have a couple kind of like premium customer success options as well as kind of one-time services to help companies who are just getting off the ground, kind of get some more best practices a bit quicker and things like that. And to kind of have that really personal feedback of how it changes really their life when it comes to their career. One woman comes to mind who she's been a career customer support kind of person, you know, like you know, multiple jobs her entire life. And she's never had the confidence or had been given kind of the empowerment to feel like she really had a seat at the table in the company, right? Because she was always advocating for the customer experience, but she could never articulate things in a way that seemed to get people's attention or get Uh budget or get green lighted for projects in ways that other people could. 
So with all that we've been able to provide her, she's so much more confident because she, because she can see what's happening with such a greater detail and how we automatically pull in things like cost numbers and things like that. You know, hey, we're spending $1,500 a month fixing this one problem. Hey, can I get $2,000, you know, from this other area in the company to fix this? You know, we're going to save 18 grand a yeah. year, right? Like, so that confidence to be able to come in and say like, this is what I want. This is my calculation. This, this is my project. This is what I want to do. And then for people to say yes, right. Is like, I've never had this happen. Like higher level of, you know, just personal work satisfaction. So we've had on a couple of occasions, like surprisingly like emotional reactions from people, just like them being so, so thankful about what they're now enabled to do. And just their job satisfaction is higher and things like that. And at the end of the day, like you don't go into this being like, you know, I want to change people's lives. I mean, we kind of do, but it's just like, I want to make a cool product. I want to help people. But for people to kind of lay that yeah, out, yeah, yeah. whoa, like, man, this really has an impact yeah. just on a person as a person, you know, not just like. And that's, what, that's what make people talk about it to their peers as well. Yeah. Because they all know each other as well, right? I mean, they are also connected to <laughs> professionals in their space. That's fascinating. Funny enough, these type of stories always come up with people that are in the customer support space. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I remember one of my first conversations with Ryan Falkenberg, the CEO of a company called Cleva in South Africa. Similar type of story on when he started to interview a customer about what, what impact they made, she started crying. And oh, yeah. <laughs> but she was an agent, by the way. So that was the only agent side. Yeah. So let me see. From your, your experience now being a CEO of two companies, co-founder of two companies, for People that aspire to go the same route to, to start or to, to grow a business software company as well. What are the tidbits of wisdom or one of, one is a, yeah, a piece of, of wisdom that you can share with them that you would advise them to do or to do not? One framework that I found really helpful when it comes to career decisions and you know, deciding what company to start or even you know, where to work as a team member, it's kind of thinking about, it's working backwards from answering the question, what problem in the world, am I more uniquely qualified to solve compared to anyone else in the world? And I think that's a really provocative question because then you begin to kind of take inventory of your life experiences, your skills, and everything you have to date. And I think the magic is in kind of that Venn diagram overlap. Yeah, so, exactly. Yeah. So I, as an example, you know, I studied marketing in school, but loved kind of internet stuff the entire time. My first job out of college was in sales at a software company. I randomly took a left turn and was at a local services construction company for a while in a marketing and sales role. And then I started this consumer goods company. Yeah. In college, I actually sold knives and kitchenwares to pay for college doing one-to-one -one demonstrations with people in their homes selling consumer uh -huh. products, Right. So all of a sudden, the candle thing, it seems weird, but it's actually not because it was selling consumer goods to middle-aged women when I had done that face-to-face -face in person combined with my love of internet marketing, right? So that, that was a perfect Venn diagram overlap, right? And so then I was kind of, I was selling candles online for five years and I was running a support department, right? And so it's like, and I was buying a lot of software, from different companies to run that business. True. But like the next step of starting a software company where the majority of our early customers were really e-commerce companies, like a lot of those people 
were people I knew before, right? Because they trusted me and they had those same problems. So that next step was not a big leap. I mean, starting a software company when you've never done it before is certainly still a big leap, but it made sense given my trajectory. So I think wherever someone is now, it's healthy to have ambition around getting into something completely new. But I think sometimes we can stretch too far and that sets ourselves up for failure. So if I wanted to be a rocket scientist, I'd pick something random, right? That would be so many degrees of freedom kind of away from where I am today that it'd be unwise for me to just try to do that. But there could be an intermediary step, which I should take for a couple of years that would get me one step closer, that would prepare me to be able to do that. So I think we will all find the most success, satisfaction, and fulfillment in finding what is that unique thing for me at this point in time, right? I might have ambition about where I want to be five years from now, but then it's not my Venn diagram today, which means I'm not set up to be the best person in the world, you know, to solve that problem. So if you use that framework, I found that to be extremely helpful, even for just, you know, someone who's working at a company from an employee perspective, you know, what's that next step to the side that's complementary, but gets me closer towards my eventual you know, kind of vision of where I'm going. And I think that encourages a lot of patience. Like I don't have to get there today. Let's enjoy the journey. Let's just continue to learn and enjoy learning and working hard and go from there. Yeah. Well, wise advice. And I completely agree with you. It's actually a technique that I, I haven't described like that, but I'm using, I'm using it in a similar manner for my own business. Okay. To get that yes and no or hell yes. And, and <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So what is your greatest aspiration for the next 12 months? Where do you want to take the company from here? Yeah. So I think the big thing for us, so we're starting our fundraising process in a month. And so that's, that's definitely going to be a big thing. And we're, yeah. the team is preparing for me to be able to focus on that, you know, fairly full time. So that's going to be a lot of time and effort, but basically by the end of the calendar year, you know, the goal is to close on that money. And from there, we're really doubling down on the product. You know, our kind of midterm product vision means we need to come out with six or seven different workflow kind of modules as part of our overall solution within 12 months. So, you know, we don't have to have the most powerful specific incremental solution compared to maybe some enterprise thing, but we need to have everything under the same roof powered by our data platform. And we know that if we can get there really quickly, all of a sudden, you know, even from where we are now, things are 10 X more compelling than where they are even today. So raising that money, building the team to get us there. And, you know, within 18 months, finishing going wide on all those workflow modules. And in that meantime, you know, continuing to grow the business. So from there, we're going to be set up well to raise our series A in 18 to 24 months. And then from there, it'll be really about putting our foot on the accelerator and trying to get Boostopia in the hands of every support leader in the world. Yeah. Well, that's a fun route or roadmap to be part part of. I can agree with you. So where can people go to find out more about Boostopia and how can they connect with you to say hi? Yeah. Yeah. So thankfully we have a, you know, one of those good, weird software company names. So it's fairly easy to Google, but Boostopia.com, B-O-O-S-T-O-P-I-A.com, our new forever free insights product. You know, would love to have everyone sign up, check it out. You know, if you're in an operations role or executive role, you know, CC in your support leader and say, check it out and sign up. We'd love to get you in to the product and get your feedback and continue to learn from you and how we can, you know, best serve you as you serve your customers. So you can reach out there. For me personally, personal websites and Twitter is a great place to chat business. I also LinkedIn. 
So at JC Winter on Twitter and then on LinkedIn, you can just search Justin Winter and then Dystopia and I'll pop right up. And then I am JustinWinter.com is the website. Someone wants to email me. But yeah, would feel free, you know, when in doubt, reach out. If you have a question, if I can be helpful in some way. I love meeting other entrepreneurs and, and people aspiring to be entrepreneurs and create something exciting in the world. So I would love to connect with anyone who's had the privilege of hanging out with us today. Very good. Well, it was inspiring talking to you and I like the journey. I mean, a number of things were kind of, like I said, patterns that I saw. You also took a different route that typical organizations go through. I really like your point about starting as a data platform and build value from there. I really liked your advice on what remarkable software companies need to be focusing on. And yeah, you particularly your advice at the end about the Venn diagram. I think that's, that's, that's good stuff to start thinking about and to apply. So thanks for that. Yeah, well, it's been a lot of fun. I love learning from you today and having this conversation. It's been great. Pleasure. And this ends my conversation with Justin. I hope you enjoyed it. If so, please leave a review on iTunes. And if you got inspired by it, please share it with other tech entrepreneurs on a mission that you have in your network. Other than that, thank you for tuning into this podcast. I had the honor to speak to Justin Winter, co-founder and CEO of Boostopia. As said, the goal that I have in this podcast is twofold. Firstly, to inspire new forms of value creation by sharing compelling ideas and stories about the potential we can unlock when technology and people blend in the right way. And secondly, share experiences from tech entrepreneurs like you about what is required to create a remarkable software business and how to overcome the roadblocks to do so. Before I close, I have two more comments to make. If you know other tech entrepreneurs on a mission that have a story worth sharing, please send me an email at ton.dobby at valueinspiration.com. Building the momentum all starts with revealing the ideas. And that starts with you. And if you want to know more about my book or you're interested in joining the Remarkable Effect tribe, please visit my website at www.valueinspiration.com. Thanks for tuning in. And you could do me a big favor by rating the podcast on iTunes or provide me with your feedback directly. I'll see you shortly on a new episode. best-known investor and Wall Street expert Warren Buffett once said, Wall Street is the only place that people ride to in a Rolls Royce to get advice from those who take the subway. Mr. Buffett's quote is remarkably accurate, but how many people would rather receive advice from him than someone simply guessing? Welcome to Buy, Hold, Sell, your single source for Wall Street knowledge and profitable guidance. Please join me, Todd Schoenberger, and fellow trader Tobin Smith, as well as host Veronica Dudo, for a podcast known to move the needle for investors. Tobin and I are seasoned Wall Street executives with deep investment experience, and we are prepared to share our advice to those who choose to listen. Download Buy, Hold, Sell today on the Evergreen Podcast Network or your favorite podcast channel.